It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 158. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So I would start by saying what's new in Denver, but mm. there's a bunch new in the Mac world, and I think we've yeah. got a lot to talk about. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, the announcement last week is really notable in that it's the first time in a while that Apple has changed the Mac lineup, and it was a surprise too. Um, I'm always impressed now. that they can pull off surprises. I really am. That, they, yeah. Know. And I, we could talk about that actually, about uh, how, how that actually came to be, but the, you know, it's been, you know, IMAX uh, in the middle and then a Mac mini on the left and a Mac pro on the right. And then you've got your MacBook air MacBook pro for laptops. It's been that way for a while. Right. And they had a little variation. They had an iMac pro for a while, but besides that, it's been kind of set. And then they threw in this thing. It just came out of nowhere. The new Mac called the Mac Studio. And the reason I think it kind of surprised everybody is because um, there were rumors that there was going to be a high-end Mac Mini. And there were also rumors that there was going to be a low-end Mac Pro. (laughs) And this is, in fact, that. They were both right. They were both right. But what they didn't get was the fact that it would just be a whole new machine that would be exactly right there in the middle. Um, You know, I guess, you know, if you look at the body of it and you could see how even somebody just even being shown it like here, this is what we're announcing next week. We're not telling you anything. We're just showing it to you. We'd look at it and say, oh, that's a, you know, a big Mac mini that uh, is going to be really cool. Or maybe looking at it and saying, oh, that's kind of a small Mac Pro. So. Yeah, it makes sense that people were confused and the rumor sites got it wrong. Um, But it is also notable in that um, they, so previously Apple had two iMacs, had the 21 and a half inch screen, the small screen iMac, and the 27 inch large screen iMac, which was a 5K screen. The thought was, you know, they would upgrade both of those to the M1 processor. And they did in fact come up with a 24 inch iMac with the M1 processor and they, you know, killed off the 21 and a half inch Intel iMac. The thought was that they would now come out with a larger screen iMac and still have two different sizes of iMac, but they came out with this Mac studio instead and never mentioned the iMac. And then when they updated their site after the announcement was over the 27 inch iMac disappeared completely <laughs> didn't remain like still have it for intel or whatever it's gone like it did never existed so it's really crystal clear to me at least that apple is back to having one size imac which to be fair was how it was for a long time you know that original imac that made like you know change the industry and all of that it was just one screen size you know they didn't sell multiple screen sizes that until much later and you know, going back to that kind of makes sense. Um, a lot of people confused about it, though, and a lot of people, uh, I would say a lot of people, some people complaining about it, that they were hoping to get a 27-inch iMac. Now it seems like that's not even going to happen. What are their options? But actually, before we get to that, let's talk about what this Mac Studio is. So it's a small device. It's, it's the same width and depth as a Mac Mini. So seven and a half or, you know, we're at seven and a half inches on uh, either side. Mm-hmm. And then it's a little more than twice the height. So the Mac mini is kind of flat and this kind of is uh, like four inches tall. Mm-hmm. 
and it's you know obviously not something you're going to open up and and add more memory or drive or anything to it's just a solid device right um and it's got pretty upgraded parts in it it uses either the m1 max processor which was only previously available on the high-end macbook pros mm-hmm. or a new processor called the m1 ultra which i have to say i called it i said when they came out with the m1 max i think it was on this show i said well, the M1 Max sounds like it should be the maximum, but if they did want to come up with a with a better one, they could call the Ultra, right? Because <laughs> in marketing speak, even though Max does mean maximum, Ultra usually is the higher one. Better than maximum, um, yes. Yeah, and I also called it, and then I thought that you know if they came up with a Mac Pro, they could put say two M1 Max processors in it. You know, as like a dual processor. I mean, obviously, the, the, there's many processors inside the chip itself. In the chip, right. Um, and that's what the M1 Ultra really is. It's two M1 and Max processors. The only thing that you have to note about that is they are actually attached to each other. They're not two processors sitting on the board that you know are, are close to each other. They're actually fused together. So, there's, so, the, so is it like one piece of silicon that just happens yeah. to have two of these things? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So that means the transfer speeds between processors right. are not you know, uh, delayed by the fact that they're in separate pieces of silicon. Right. Um, so that gives like an incredible number of processors, uh, 64 uh, you know, GPUs <laughs> that you could have. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, 64 GPUs is incredible. And also boosts the amount of memory up to, you can have 128 gigs of RAM. Um, it's a lot of stuff. Even the, you know, they it, basically they doubled everything. So the Max chip has 10 media encoders on it that handle certain types of media for encoding like H.264 video or decoding it and all that. And you get double those as well because it's two identical chips uh, right. fused together. So that's what's in the studio. You can get the, either the M1 Max or you can get the M1 Ultra. And the uh, if you get the Ultra, you you know get all the features, uh, you know, a bunch of extra goodies. Like you can go to maximum memory. Uh, it's got a bigger heat sink on it. Um, it. It's got even an extra Thunderbolt like bus uh-huh. Uh-huh. because on the M1 Max you have Thunderbolt in the back and USB on the front. On the M1 Ultra, you've got Thunderbolt in the back and Thunderbolt in the front, uh-huh. which tells me that it's a bus thing, right? They've got right. two Thunderbolt buses there. Uh, so it's really cool. It, it seems to be super powerful. So and, my question for you yeah. is, which one would, did you choose and which yeah, yeah, one will yeah. it arrive? <laughs> <laughs> well, before I get to that, um, well, it's important to note that they, they also announced something, another big change in the Mac world. They announced a screen called the studio display. Now right. well, they already they had, done, yeah, they haven't done that for quite some time though. Right? No, they, they yeah. had a pro display, which is a $6,000 screen. That's, you know, basically 6k display. It's meant for pros. It's right. extremely expensive. Right. Um, they have that. The, pro, the studio display is something different. It's first of all, it's reasonably priced for what it is, which is a 5k display. <laughs> you could get a $1,200 5k display, but usually they're refurbished or whatever, you know, you have to spend a little bit more to get a new one. So $1,600 for 5k display isn't like Apple prices. Apple prices would be like $2,000 for that. Right. Plus you add in the fact it's got a 12 megapixel webcam. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah. So forget 1080, forget 4k. It's a 12 (laughs) megapixel webcam. Right. Um, It's got a three microphone array and a Mm -hmm. six speaker array. 
So serious AV capability. No kidding. Plus pass through USB-C. So you plug this thing in with Thunderbolt, say to your MacBook Pro or your MacBook Air, and now suddenly you're using it as a dock because you can have three things coming off of the screen. Right. Um, so you've got this display. Pretty and how big is this display? It's a 5K display, 27 inches. Okay. Okay. So pretty good competitively priced display. Um, and it's clear that, you know, from the name Mac Studio and Studio Display, that mm-hmm. they're meant to be paired together. Even though the Studio Display can be used with the lowest end MacBook Air or Mac Mini and presumably anything, you know, well, they could be used with my Mac Pro, I'm sure, and any new Mac Pro that comes out. So it could be used by anything, but the name suggests that they made the two to be a pair. Um, so that show tells me there's another indicator that there's not going to be a 27 inch iMac. This is the 27 inch iMac. Right, right. You get the Mac Studio, you get the Studio Display, grand total for the cheapest configuration, $3,600. Okay. And you've got your iMac. Now, the uh, last 5K iMac, the one that Apple just discontinued, you could have gotten a $1,700 version of that. Which is like, oh, so $1,700 for a 5K iMac, and now the lowest version of the equivalent is $3,600. But that $3,600 would actually be the equivalent to a pretty high-end previous iMac. Yes. I mean, that that was like an i5 you know, processor, 8 gigs of RAM, uh, 256 gig hard drive machine, that $1,700 one. Uh, any, you know, so most people that were say, Oh, I want the 5k iMac. They were probably spending well above $2,000 to get right. decent specs. Right. Um, the, the lowest you can go on the, on the Mac studio, you know, with that, you get the M one max processor in it. The, there's, um, the lowest version of that 32 gigs of Ram and a half a terabyte drive. Mm-hmm. That's like the minimum you can get. That's that $2,000 right. Mac studio model. So it's it's the kind of thing where some people were disappointed that there's no 27 inch iMac, but there's all sorts of possibilities. Right. You could get you could upgrade an, a Mac Mini with more memory and a bigger drive, and then connect that to a screen. Right. You can get the cheapest uh, Mac Studio and not get the Studio Display. Instead, mm-hmm. go out and buy one of the displays like I know both of us have a nice 32 or 27 inch 4K screen. Those only cost like $400, $500 for like a big one. Um, and you can get something pretty decent. Uh, I'm actually doing a video on this later in the week, comparing all the different options of uh, you know what you could get if what you wanted was a 27-inch iMac. Um, what am I getting? Well, um, I'm of course, I ordered the studio display. So that's coming in. Right. And that I should get first. Uh, probably not next week, the week after. Have to you know keep an eye on the shipping on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about that, even though it has a big problem for me, which is that I'm do- using a 32 inch screen now. Right. So I'm going to be going down in size, the physical size, and going from 4K to 5K, which means that there's going to be two reasons text is going to be smaller. Right. Um, so my reading glasses that I don't wear while working on my computer may have to actually come out for me to work <laughs> on my computer. 
which would be uh, yeah. Well, welcome to to getting older. Yeah, just yeah. wait. Um, I'm sitting here with trifocals on, my friend. <laughs> I, I have to. I, I'm worried about this. I mean, if it, it if it, I'm prepared. You know, there's that 14 days to return. I am prepared that if this is going to be a problem, um, I may may return it. I may look at no, it and say, this won't. is cool. This is neat, but it may no, not be for won't. me. You'll go see the eye doctor, get yourself a new prescription and just get on with it. Cause it's but, no. too, too cool. Well, I've got, um, I'll, I'll see now the camera and the microphones I'm really interested in because yes. technically I should be able to do my show using exactly them, right. Yeah. It sounded but, like there was pretty, pretty, com- pretty comparable to what you end up using. Um, yeah. Day to day. Yeah. But problems with that. First of all, the reason that it's a 12 megapixel camera is it's using what's called center stage, which is this cool tech that's cool tech that's on the iPad that allows you to, it basically is a wide angle lens and it will follow you around the room like the camera is moving, but it's not. Yeah. It's using interpolation to actually make it seem like the camera's pointed in a direction that it's not actually pointed in. So that's why there's 12 megapixels in it. Now, what will that mean in terms of what I can actually pull off of it Yes, for filming my videos? I am worried, and I think at least initially this will be true, that all I'm going to be able to get is 1080. Even though it's got all these pixels, that when I try to record it screen flow, it's going to be, this is a 1080 camera. That's all I know. And I will have to then go back to my regular camera I'm using right. now, which gives me 4K. Right. Now that might change some point, you know, at some point, somebody may come out with some cool software, you know, some extension, you know, maybe even ScreenFlow itself, they would come out with something that would, you know, allow you to really take charge of this camera of and get thing, 4K right? off of it. Yep. We'll have to see. Microphone, the same thing. It's like, <clears throat> I'm using a shotgun mic now, rather expensive shotgun mic. Mm-hmm. And will, will it sound, I have no doubt that this camera and this, these mics will sound fantastic for Zoom. Like the next time I talk to a user group over Zoom, I'm just going to be using these. And um, I think it's going to be great. Or me? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm wearing, the, the only time I ever wear a headset is when doing this show. Uh-huh. And that's primarily because even though the microphone isn't as good as my shotgun, I could face any direction I want. Oh, that's right. That's right. So you're kicking back while you're doing this. I could kick back. I could look <laughs> over somewhere else. I could, as I'm talking, I could gesture. because since we don't use a camera for this, I don't focus my eyes on a camera. Right. So I tend to like, yeah, push back, look up at the ceiling, look, you know, off to the side. And the problem is you would hear that in the show. Yes. Yes. If I, you know, I'd have to like actually focus and like, look at the microphone the entire time we talked. So it's funny. I've actually trained myself so that, so that even though I've got a stationary mic, it's, it's moved from an arm to a a traditional desk stand. Um, I've actually trained myself to, even though I can look around the room, I'm pivoting my head around the microphone. Yeah. Well, so. and I think that's what would happen to me eventually right. if I if I tried to do it. Probably a few episodes in, I would get used to it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's basically you know what we've got now in terms of the Mac uh, Mac Studio. I looked at the Macs and the Ultra options, and I went with the Ultra because there's a higher data rate for it. So not only are you getting the two processors, mm-hmm. but you're getting a higher data rate. So I went for the Ultra, but the 48 GPU core version, not the full 64 
GPU version mm-hmm. because, well, first of all, I think it's like a thousand dollars difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I imagine having 64 GPU cores is really useful if you're doing 3D graphics, probably useful if you're doing like heavy video editing, like a movie right? <laughs> or like weekly half hour sitcoms, that kind of thing. Um, I'm doing 10 minute YouTube videos. Right. Uh, I don't think I'm going to miss the, uh, you know, t- the 16 cores. Um, so I went with the 48 GPU core version. Uh, and okay. I, I boosted the, um, let's see the Ram. I went to 64 gigs of Ram. I could have gone higher than that, but I have 48 now. Right. And I never even get close to using it all. So and since- I have eight on my MacBook pro, my M one MacBook pro. And I've never have trouble using that for anything, including Final Cut Studio. So, so my question I, to you is that since it's a closed box, yeah, and you've made the choice for sixty-four, yeah, do you have an option to upgrade nope. that later? Nope. Nope. Okay. Okay. So, I, I but I have no doubt that I'll be fine for the life of this machine. I, whatever. You know, I suppose you probably be. go through machines a little bit more quickly than the average person. Um, yeah. My, my advice for PC buyers is to always buy more capacity than you need. Yeah. Um, and I mean that in terms of expandability, for example, my most recent desktop, which is already a year and a half old, two years old uh, came, I ordered it with 64 gig, but um, it has room for 128 because as you know, over time, things expand. It's not that I necessarily will be using this as my primary desktop for the next 10 years, but my prior desktop lasted for like 12 or 14 years of useful service simply because I did that exact same thing. So um, you might find yourself going through a a machine just a little bit earlier. I don't know. I I, got to, but you'll, you'll have a reason to, right? Because it's your job, right? You'll, you'll sure. One of the, one of the reasons you get new machines is not necessarily because you need a new machine. It's because, Hey, there's this new machine that you need to um, experience and evaluate and, and understand for your audience. Yep. And and I think either way, I think Mm -hmm. 48 or 64 gigs of Ram is going to be fine. It should last Um, you for some time. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not worried about that. I went, I actually surprised myself because I always try to go up in size for hard drives every time. But uh, to be fair, I've had my, my super expensive Mac pro for less than two years, which is mm-hmm. a point of anger here. I've never <laughs> that quickly. I've never spent that much for a machine for a machine and I've never gone through it so quickly, but to be fair, there's nothing wrong with it. Right. I could keep using it. There's not, right. I'm not like, Oh, I really need one. I'm only buying a new one because there was the change in processor and I, yeah, whatever. But I kept with the same size hard drive because it's only been two years since I moved up to two terabytes of mm-hmm. uh, SSD. And I basically took an inventory of my drive and I have two terabytes. Now I looked and I said, well, what am I really using? Right. So I looked and I, I noticed there were a couple of things, like there was a 150 gigabyte file. That was a test. <laughs> I, I did in final cut like a year ago. Like I threw some example stuff in and tried sure. some transitions and I never deleted the library. So I was like, well, that shouldn't be there. Um, and then also I noticed 150 gigabytes of, of uh, windows virtual machines, which I won't be using because it, I won't be able to use them on the M one ultra. Of course. Um, I rarely use them. Matter of fact, I was surprised. I was like, God, they've been sitting there at that much space. When was the last <laughs> time I fired up one of those windows, windows virtual machines? Not 2022. Yeah. I'd tell you that <laughs> probably once in 2021, I'm trying to That's think funny. if there was something I did, 
but yeah, so I don't, you know, that's 150 gigs I get back. And that whole, that put me under one terabyte of used space. Right. I was like, ah, I think sticking with two terabytes, I'm going to be fine. You know, and then you get to a certain size for what you do. And the extra space is all like stuff that could be offloaded. Right. Um, I, I looked at my photos library. It's a hundred gigs. I looked at how much I'm using for video stuff that I'm actually working on. That was about a hundred gigs. And then maybe a hundred gigs of apps. And you know, I'm funny. not that, yeah, I don't need more than two terabytes right now. I went through the same thought exercise on this machine of mine a couple of years ago. Mm. And um, it's interesting. Like you said, it used to be that you almost always upgraded your disk space at the same time, just because your needs were increasing, the space was becoming cheaper and so on and so on. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Um, and the other thing that offsets it for me, and I know would offset it for you as well, is that um, the speeds on the external connections, be it USB mm. 3 or Thunderbolt or USB-C, are fast enough that yeah. even if you did suddenly have a requirement that, oh, you know, I need five terabytes of something, yeah, you slap an external disk on it and you've got relatively high sure. speed and tons of capacity. And that's in fact, what I've got on this machine. I've got a one terabyte and a two terabyte um, SSD uh, native on the machine, which are both underutilized and a five terabyte true hard disk in the machine and another six terabyte external hard disk. And they all run kind of all the time. And I spread things out, but I could do with a lot less. It's, it's pretty amazing. It really is how things have changed. Yeah. I, I think it, uh, you know, it depends a little bit on your usage. Sure. Like I'd be making a mistake now if I was actually somebody that made films. Like if my, yes. if I was always working on my current two hour feature film and yes. maybe already starting to work on my next two hour feature film and still right. had the old, the two hour feature film that was right now and, you know, going through the film festival circuit, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Then I think two terabytes would be a big mistake, right? <laughs> Probably should max that out, but I don't, I don't do that and it's exactly. not going to change. So, um, and also looking at like people get in trouble with their photos library, uh, sometimes their music library, sometimes their apps, mm -hmm. um, the things you can't offload very easily on a Mac, like because the photos library is connected to the cloud, mm -hmm. you can't just take it and put it on an external drive. It expects right. to be on the boot drive. Right. So when somebody gets a, like two, you know, a 512 gig, drive and they have 300 gigs worth of photos and videos and that are part of the cloud right then they run into trouble but you know two terabytes is 20 times the size of my photos that's, library that's so. interesting so you can't move your iCloud data off of your primary no. drive no it, I mean you can go and say optimize this and then only a portion is cached locally right right, right but that's right. the way like a a normal typical Mac user would do it right they would okay. have you know, do that because I know somebody yeah, I've, go got, I've got a terabyte of photos. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, but I store them in Dropbox, which uh, certainly can do what you just described, that optimized thing. They call it mm. something else. It's it's uh, files on demand or something like that. So the file is still there's a record of it on your hard disk, but the file yes. contents is not on your hard disk. Yep. Um, but uh, it's actually on that five terabyte rotating hard disk in my machine because I don't need yeah. it to be super fast. I'm only reading from it most of the time anyway. And um, it's it's actually sitting there with my OneDrive and my Google Drive and that kind of stuff. But the point being though, that um, 
uh, offloading it to an external hard or to a a second hard disk is it's honestly surprising that Apple doesn't let you do that. Yeah, it doesn't. You can't do that with iCloud. So, I mean, obviously, right. if I did Dropbox, I could do the of same course, thing. Which I actually, on my Mac, I've got that set up. I've got my Dropbox and my Google Drive um, and my OneDrive, I think, on an external drive connected to my Mac Pro. I suspect, I mean, it's probably got a lot to do with, you know, so what happens if you pulled the plug on that drive and suddenly it wasn't there? Right. <laughs> yeah, know? I don't know how iCloud would, ha- iCloud would handle that. I know that both. Exactly. Well, I'm sure that the idea is to try to avoid having to handle that. Right. Um with something like photos, right. uh, you know, make it, make it impossible by insisting it be in the internal drive. Right. And, you know, it's someone like me, I just, I want on my Mac pro or you know, I, sh- I can't call it Mac pro much for much longer. It's going to be Mac studio soon. Um, I want uh, all my photos to be there. So I have the optimized thing turned off, right. Which I, do my other too. Mac, you yeah. know, my MacBook pro mm-hmm. it's turned on. Right. And right. I only have like maybe five gigs of space taken up caching some of the photos. Right. But I want everything to be, uh, you know, sitting here in my office. Um, yeah, that the other thing, exactly uh, like I have yeah. things set up here. Yeah, for my photo, fo- I mean, it's my photos. You know, it's important. Yeah. But for the 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 other thing I wanted to bring up is I think I might have coined a new a new phrase this week. <laughs> Maybe you could help determine that because I I thought something popped into my head as I was making this video uh, about you know not having a twenty seven inch iMac and stuff. And dealing with people's questions about, you know, what which new Mac to get. Uh, and this popped into my head and I thought, oh, who said this? And I tried to look to see who said this. And I can't find anybody that's ever said this before. And the phrase is, there is always going to be room for indecision. Indeed. And what I mean by that <laughs> is somebody is always going to go and say, because I keep getting people saying, I want a Mac mini, but with a, a little bit more powerful of a processor. Or I want a Mac Studio, but one a version that's a little bit cheaper. If Apple comes out with three computers, A, B, and C, there's always going to be somebody that says, oh, I want something right between A and B. Right. If Apple came out with computers A to Z, there's going to be somebody saying, oh, I want something right between J and K. Yes. <laughs> no matter what options are offered to you, right. you're, all, you're always, you're, if it was as easy as, you know, finding exactly the right machine. If everybody looked and said, oh, the the new iMac, 24-inch iMac, perfect, sold. I don't I don't want anything more or less. It's <laughs> like, you know, that would be a perfect world, right? Yep. But everybody's always going to say, oh, I wish it was a little more powerful or I wish it was a little cheaper or I wish yep. the screen size be a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit smaller. I mean, all this stuff. So there's <laughs> always, no matter what Apple offers or anybody offers, there's always going to be enough room for indecision it's interesting because so much of that indecision is exactly what fuels the PC market. Because in the PC market, you can tweak the crap out of your machine, right? Mm. Um, you know, if you want 20 gigs of RAM um, in instead of 16 or 32, if you want this kind of hard drive or that kind of hard drive, yeah. you can mix and match whatever the heck you want, which also comes with, of course, its cost in terms of complexity. Yeah, for the I want at Leo. I want that, but a little bit cheaper. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's always for some always reason. Some... When I saw the quote um, in our notes, uh, it immediately mm. made me think of. Uh, of a MythBusters quote, which I think they coined, uh, mm-hmm. failure. Failure is always an option, and um, <laughs> it's the same. It's it just has that same kind of feeling. There's always going to be room for indecision. I like it. Yep. Cool. So, what do you got going on? 
Oh man. Well, you know, nothing, nothing a whole lot new or exciting over here in in the PC world, but I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, One of the things I like to do when I watch some instructional YouTube videos or, um, you know, get some from somebody or actually even provide some of the videos that I do for the volunteer work, it's nice to be able to provide a transcript. Mm -hmm. And it dawned on me that um, I do so many different things to generate transcripts that I thought it might be interesting to to cover some of the options and see what kind of things you might be up to as well. Okay. Uh, the 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 one that I am I'll call it the most proud of in a um, my God what a hack kind of a way is that when I'm when I'm in my basement on my on my elliptical, which is what I do for exercise, I'm usually on the elliptical for half an hour, at least five days a week. And I'm usually watching something, uh, sometimes entertaining, like right now I'm watching um, uh, tur- Turning Red, but um, sometimes I'll be watching YouTube videos or Skillshare classes or any of those kinds of things. I will generate a transcript by taking my Pixel phone turning on the recorder app and pointing my phone at the TV. It's an audio recorder. That's all it is. But the neat thing, and I believe it's only the recorder available for the Pixel, is that it generates a transcript on the fly. It actually Mm. does voice to text on the fly. And it does a pretty reasonable job. So I'll be sitting there with my phone pointed at my TV while I'm exercising. And when I'm all done, I'll turn off the phone and Google does its googly thing and synchronizes everything so that by the time I get back to my desktop, I've got a transcript ready for me, just ready to copy, paste, edit, clean up, quote, whatever it is I want to do, which is kind of cool. I thought that was kind of of innovative and probably not what the original authors intended. No. The other thing that I have available to me is some time ago, I subscribed to a service called HappyScribe, and I have a number of hours worth of... um, of transcribing time available to me each month. Most of the time um, that's being used by Connie when she's doing um, Ask Leo videos for me. She's editing and uploading and providing transcripts to augment the uh, the transcripts that Google may be providing, or I'm not even sure if they're showing up in Vimeo or not. But the point is that um, you know, we're using that. And that's a pretty traditional transcription service. You upload your audio file. They do some magic on it. You've got two levels. There's the level that is included, which gets you, I think they claim 80% accuracy, which is actually a little bit better. Um, they'll do uh, speaker recognition so that the transcript you get actually has um, this person is talking and then this person is talking and then this person is talking and having it appropriately um, uh, attributed to the speaker. The, um, but there's also the, you know, extra pay version where if you want to pay so much a minute, they'll actually have someone come in and, uh, proofread it, compare it, you know, literally a person will make sure that the transcript is accurate, which I don't think I've ever done yet because the transcript is accurate enough uh, when it comes out of there. So I thought those were two kind of interesting approaches. Uh, there are other approaches. I know that some time ago, you actually pointed me at a technique using um, Google mm-hmm. or YouTube, I should say, that was kind of interesting, but seems at least for me to be inconsistent. I don't always see this option. Do you remember what I'm talking about? 
You're talking about uh, basically letting YouTube do the automatic transcription and then downloading that right. transcription when it's done. Yeah. Right. And I'm not always able to download it, which has been kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sometimes it's just not there. Whereas the, the automated transcription is there uh, because obviously when I upload a YouTube video without doing any of this, um, there's a delta, right? There's about a time. They they make the standard definition version available, then they process it some more, and they make the high definition version available. And then presumably they process some more and eventually make the closed captioning available, that transcript. Uh, so I always give it like a day or two before I go looking for it, but it's not always available. Hmm. Interesting. I haven't, I, I haven't looked for it like that. Mm-hmm. So I haven't noticed whether or not I mean, I've just tried it like in retrospect, you know, looking back, Oh, sure. let me just play with this. Um, of course that's a, depending upon your volume, that's a pain. Right. Um, your, uh, I may look at that happy scribe site. Uh, the problem I've always had with sites like that is they charge too much. It looks like happy scribes a lot more reasonable. I, um, usually see prices of like a dollar a minute and right. where right. I really and need I think- it. I think they're $2 a minute for the um, edited version for the, yeah. for the, for the I'm talking um, about for automatic. Like yes, 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 yes. And you know, the problem is, is that I've got things like, I really want to provide, um, you know, I, I have a system set up and I have a human transcribe my regular daily videos. Oh, that's right. I remember you're human. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have that for my courses because my courses are like, I mean, my biggest one is seven hours, right? And I have others that are like four hours typically. It's a lot of transcribing. And it's also a lot when it comes to, you know, if you're paying a dollar a minute, you've got a seven hour course. Oh yeah, that's Well, there goes the first, you know, uh, hundred sales or whatever. Um, So it's it's a bunch. So I'm always looking for a way to do it more reasonably, even if the accuracy isn't, perfect you know of just some way to get it and part of the problem is too is i've sometimes i've found systems that are transcription but unfortunately i'm using vimeo for that and vimeo not only doesn't do automatic transcription or subtitles like youtube does Mm -hmm. but they won't even sync it up so like with youtube you could upload a transcript and it will take the transcript and sync it up with the video Right. So all you need to transcript, not subtitles. The difference for people that are like, what's the difference? The difference is subtitles has times. Right. Because at this time, the person speaking says this. The transcript oh, is just better than dumb, that dumb. because they actually break it into segments that fit on the screen. Right. They're, they're, yeah. They're, oh, yeah. That's, they're actually that's breaking. Really point. They're not looking at the sentences or the, the lexical structure. They're just looking at, okay, how many words will fit vertically? I'm sorry, horizontally on the screen at this yeah, time. Yeah. And will it be one line or two and all that kind of stuff? But yes. Yeah. So, you know, so the problem is I can't just like get a transcript and then, you know, toss it into Vimeo. It it wouldn't work. I have to actually get subtitles that are broken up and have those times. So, you know, I I need something to be able to do that. I have experimented with a couple of things in the past. First of all, before I had a human doing it, I had a really interesting technique. I was using for gears, Mechanical Turk. (laughs) Oh, right. And, you know, that's a service that's still around from Amazon, where it has humans from around the world doing really small tasks for very small amounts of money. And you could, you know, typically it could be something like, you know, find the noun in the sentence or find, you know, uh, is this a picture of a, of a, you know, bicycle, you know, that kind of thing and get a paid a penny to click yes or no. Uh, And all sorts of uh, companies use it for all sorts of things, but you could go and say, here's a 10 minute video, transcribe it for me and then pay a dollar 
for right. the transcription, right. which seems low, except that it's a worldwide service. So there's, you know, when you translate the prices, you know, of like what it costs for a gallon of milk or a meal or whatever. Yeah. Basically <laughs> you know, that dollar is a half day's wage for somebody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you're not going to get somebody necessarily in New York city doing that, but you will get somebody who perhaps may actually speak much better English, uh, <laughs> in, in another part of the world. Um, you know, just because, uh, uh, you know, sometimes English as a second language, right. uh, actually means you have better, uh, transcription skills. Right. Um, so the, so I would do that for a while and I would batch them. So I would wait till about a month's worth of videos and then I'd batch them to Mechanical Turk and I get these text files back and I use that for transcription. Um, I, that was an interesting way, uh, a way I experimented with a year ago to try to solve my course problem. Mm -hmm. I tried using AIs and I tried using Watson. Okay. IBM's Watson has, a, yeah. has an API that you could go and if you, you know how to code, you could go onto their site and you can, you know, basically for whatever I, whatever it was I was doing, I was doing it for free. So I don't know if eventually there would have been a cost or what the deal was, but mm -hmm. I was able for free to have Watson transcribe uh, the videos and it kind of worked. Like I was able to, you know, say, here's a video. And I, you know, about 10 minutes later, I get a file back and it was pretty accurate. Um, but, you know, trying to build that out to something where I could easily feed in like a whole course load of videos was like the next step. And I never kind of went to the next step with that. I thought, mm -hmm. well, you know, another day. So I wish I had taken good, better notes when I did that, because I'm going to have to start from scratch if I want to go back, which right. I had just written down what I did so I could get back to that point. <laughs> um, so that's kind of interesting. Now, I have people asking me all the time about your technique, what you just said about taking some sort of dictation, uh, you know, uh, software either right. on a phone or a computer and basically having audio play into that dictation. Right. And what I've always said is, you know, dictation and transcription are two very different things. When you're dictating, you're actually slowing down for the software to catch up. You're mm -hmm. enunciating because you know, this is what's happening with what you're speaking. Mm -hmm. And you're possibly correcting mistakes. Maybe even if you're not correcting a mistake, when you see it on the screen, you are correcting your voice for something later on. Like if it's mm -hmm. doing a poor job, you slow down more. If it gets a word wrong, maybe like a word of a, of a city, the next time you say that city, maybe you pronounce it a little bit better because you noticed it was, you know, not getting it. Um, so that's dictating transcription. The words just keep coming full speed. You know, right. and the software has got to keep up and the software is like, Hey, this person never shuts up. Right. They just, they're going, <laughs> going, uh, because they, you know, it's not built for that. So I always say when, you know, people ask me, Hey, can I use the dictation feature on the Mac or the iPhone to transcribe something? I say, you can try, you're probably going to get poor results. What you really need to do is use a transcription service, um, to do it properly. But soon, I think we're, we're getting closer. Like that pixel function you mentioned, right. I expect Apple to add that probably in the next version of iOS. They have an app called Voice Memos on the iPhone mm -hmm. and on the Mac for that, uh, you know, and it syncs up over iCloud. And they've been adding features to that steadily. And the last time they, they added like the uh, skip silence feature and all this mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really think that Apple's going to jump ahead. As I know with Siri, they took a lot of data and they made a lot of progress with transcription and dictation and all that. I would 
be wouldn't be surprised if the next version or maybe the version after that they say, "Hey, new feature in voice memos, it now transcribes what you speak." Right. And you just do your normal dictation and then you see the little sound wave and underneath it it shows that. Yep. So, yeah, I think that's coming and I think it's, you know, it'll probably still be uh, you know, 80% accurate or whatever at the beginning, but then once it's there, like with the pixel, then it all, all it is, is a matter of like, Hey, okay. 80% today is 85% tomorrow is 90%, 95%, you know, and then a few years go by. And next thing you know, you're like, Hey, this works great. Like zoom. People are amazed at how good that feature works on zoom right. of throwing up the words. Right. And right. it's which, like, which yeah. we should try sometime actually to turn on. Yeah. I have no idea how to turn it on. I don't One know how to turn it on with audio. Yeah. Audio only. Yeah. 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 One of the things, do you know if it, re, if it saves what it did? If That's a good question. I don't call? know. I don't know either. Yeah. We should try that. Sometime. I don't know. But the technology there, I mean, if it can, if it can show what people are saying that well on the screen, obviously it could, I mean, zoom might not do it for whatever reasons they have, right. but that means that technology could be used. So we're we're at the point now where that's this is starting to change and the computers are going to be able to transcribe things. So um, one of the things I'm thinking of as I'm sitting here is sometime um, after uh, Connie finishes editing this episode mm -hmm. and posts it, uh, for those of you listening to it, look at the show notes and I will at some point after, it'll take me a day or two just to get around to it. Um, I will post a transcription of this episode done both by um, Happy Scribe, because I know, okay. um, Gary, you probably want to see just how accurate it is compared to what it is we're yeah. doing here. And, um, and by playing the episode and pointing my phone at the speaker. Because I think you'll be fairly surprised at the, the quality of the latter results. Um, I've been fairly impressed with the Pixel. Um, and and this is this isn't even the latest pixel. It's a pixel four, and they're up to pixel six. So there's you know faster processors, all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah. like I said, I've been fairly impressed with it. It ain't perfect. Don't get me wrong, but um, it's absolutely useful enough for personal notes, which is what I'm using it for. And uh, it can I, the the way I could see it being used in quote unquote production is to um, have someone review what gets created or what gets captured instead of doing the capture. Because reviewing what's there is probably a lot faster than actually sitting down and creating the mm. transcription by hand. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah. So watch this space. Hey, yeah. and if anybody listening uh, knows of other options, Right for that, that they Amazon's got to have one. I, I'm sure Amazon. Oh, has AWS. Like yeah, there is. Yeah. I think um, that I think I looked into that, and I the Watson thing was seemed to be the better option for right. me to actually spend my time trying to develop something. You know, I'm actually using a, a the reverse on uh, my personal blog. Um, any blog post I post there that I write. Um, there is a little play button, a little uh, read this to me button, and that is AWS's uh, text to speech reading it to you. And it actually sounds relatively natural. That was kind of fun to do. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's an interesting subject in and of itself too, because the having the computer or your phone read stuff to you is getting better and better. Mm -hmm. But also I, I noticed we're getting more accepting of it. Like we're meeting it in the middle. And I noticed this on TikTok. So TikTok has a voice. Yes. They have a couple of voices you could use yes. where you could have, instead of using your own voice, 
You could type some text out and it will read it to you. And there's a, a female sounding voice that is the TikTok voice, right? If you hear that anywhere, you know somebody's you know, watching yes, TikTok. Yes. <laughs> it, but what's interesting about that voice is after hearing it a bunch of times, you start to, I wouldn't say prefer it, but I, I noticed, for instance, things like ads are starting to use it on TikTok. Interesting. Because they're like, hey, let's use the TikTok voice instead of like a professional voice actor, because right. <laughs> people cheaper. will actually maybe watch it if it's a TikTok voice. And, and even I've noticed some creators actually using it sometimes instead of their right. own voice. I actually, I actually did this once just to see how it was done. Mm -hmm. um, so one of my videos does do this on, on TikTok. And it's just like, well, you know, people like this voice. They're used to this voice. There's absolutely zero negative anything from this voice because right. it's just accepted even though it's still obviously a computer voice. And even though it occasionally gets certain words wrong. That's fine. It's almost like it's an accent. This is the, the TikTok <laughs> accent. Is there certain words that gets wrong? Hey, yes. as, as humans, not only do we sometimes get words wrong, right? Um, you know, and we often get words wrong for different diet, like different uh, sure. dialects of whatever. So, you, you know, you probably run, I, I know I've got this Philadelphia accent because that's where I grew up. And there's, there are words in, with a Philadelphia accent that are pronounced differently than if you're from some other English speaking place. <laughs> I'm not wrong when I say them. Right. I grew up in Philadelphia. That's right. how people in Philadelphia pronounce it. You could go and say, well, technically it's pronounced this way. Uh, and you'd, be right, but I'm right too. You know, so it's the same thing with something like a mispronunciation in TikTok. It's like, yeah, that's wrong, but it's kind of right for that TikTok voice. <laughs> it's like that's the that's the TikTok accent. You it's where it he's way. from. Yes, it's where he's. And, and that may and that may actually become true. I mean, think of the non-English speakers watching TikToks, right? And that voice is saying a word or two wrong. And they're learning English from TikTok. Oh, so people are going to actually start using, like some of those mispronunciations are actually going to become correct pronunciations or at least variations that are correct. There are, because there are to the extent we have any English teachers listening, there are a number of them that are just cringing right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, but language, language evolves. Uh, that I mean, enough that's, is, that's a, that alone yeah. is enough to make a lot of English teachers cringe, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. We, we, I think we talked on a show a year or two ago about, you know, a book about linguistics and yes. how yes. computers how and, change. Yeah, have changed it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, speaking of books, that's a good transition. So before we yes. get to books and even before we get to a segment that we normally call Ain't It Cool, I have to start with Ain't It Confusing. We talked mm. a couple of weeks ago about uh, Raised by Wolves. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, Confusing. Yes. I am I'm enjoying all caught it. Up, by the way. You are? Okay, good. Yep. Um, I am enjoying it, but in a WTF kind of way, right? It's it's like, <laughs> what the heck is going on here? What you know? So it is very confusing. Supposedly the last episode of the season uh, comes out on Sunday, mm -hmm. but um, I, it'll be very interesting to see a where they take it, how they mm -hmm. wrap up the season, and where they leave it. Because of course they would, you know, every opportunity to to potentially pitch a uh, um, another season is an opportunity they would take. I'm sure, but it's just okay. <laughs> it is. It is a very weird 
show. I mean, it's not as straightforward as the first season. There's a lot of odd things. Yes. They, and on top of that, the characters make a lot of questionable choices. Yes. Um, for what it's worth, if you're going to have a baby, a, a nice hospital room is preferred, not a rock <laughs> over an acid sea all alone by well, yourself. No, my, so that one, at least I, I understood at the time. My belief is that she didn't want it. And she was her oh. intent. Her intent was to get rid of it. Oh, so the acid C was kind of convenient. Yes, and also she did the the. It's almost a trope, right? Where um, someone who doesn't want a child suddenly has the mm. child, sees the child, and changes their mind completely. Yep. Right, a yep. complete hundred eighty degrees. I think that's what happened here. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot of that that goes on in the yep. show. That's a good example that goes on in the show. It's like, oh, I think this is its, what happened. <laughs> this, the acid sea by itself just has me scratching my head because, yes, the sea is acid, but apparently the, 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 the part of it that actually washes up on the shore isn't because they're walking through it all the time. Um, the critters <laughs> that come out of it, they can touch without getting burned, even though they were just now soaking. I, 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 I don't know. It's yes. There's a lot of, it's a lot. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. anyway, on the cool side. Yes. Um, I, I ended up reading a book last week and it's one of those things where I've started it and all of a sudden I just tore right through it. And it surprised me. It's called everything I know about life. I learned from PowerPoint. Now PowerPoint is a lot of people's whipping boy. They'd love to, to talk about death by PowerPoint and, and how horrible a tool it is. And of course, this person has the completely opposite perspective. And it's, it turns out to be a perspective that I generally agree with. Um, it's kind of like, you know, PowerPoint doesn't make bad presentations. People make bad presentations. Mm. And PowerPoint happens to be a tool that they use. Now, to be fair, PowerPoint does make it easy to make bad presentations in ways that perhaps some other tools like Prezi or Keynote don't. But the themes that he talks about here in terms of PowerPoint, making presentations, how to use the tool, how to think about the tool, how to think about your presentations using this tool apply to all of the tools. And I just found it a very interesting way to think about the content that you're trying to present in the guise of PowerPoint is a very powerful tool. So I just enjoyed it. Um, it's what's really funny. This is, you'll laugh at this. So it's a hardback book. But when I went and looked at it, like I usually do, I always, always, always look for the Kindle version because honestly, if it's not on Kindle, I'm probably not going to read it. And I found it on Kindle. I downloaded it and, you know, it had some formatting issues and it had some other issues and, and okay, fine. I, I, I coped. It was fine. Actually, as it turned out, I read it mostly on my desktop because it was a nice big screen and you'll understand why in a moment. But then I went to, I think he had a page specifically for, you know, after notes, updates, errata, that kind of stuff. And one of the very first things on the page is he's the author says, Hey, I know there's a Kindle version out there. There isn't supposed to be. And I actually went and looked at Amazon again. And sure enough, the Kindle version was gone. You can't find it anymore, which is kind of unfortunate. Fortunate for me that I found it because like I said, otherwise I probably wouldn't have read it. And it dawned on me, the issue with the Kindle version is that they took the book, somebody took the book and basically did the equivalent of screenshots of each page mm. 
and turned it into a presentation, which mm. doesn't really work very well on a Kindle. You can make it work, but if you've got the opportunity to have a nice big screen where you can have it all on screen at once and you can go from quote unquote slide to slide, then it's fine. So they actually, this book about PowerPoint, they almost turned into a PowerPoint presentation. And yeah, that didn't translate very well. I just thought that was humorous. I enjoyed the book. Um, I, I got some things out of it in terms of presentation stuff. And yeah, I'm starting to look into uh, to PowerPoint yet again. Cool. Um, I, I read a book this week that was also about communication. I, did you, you might've read this one. Did you read did. this? Uh, you did. Okay. So, um, it's called, if I understood you, would I have this look on my face by Alan Alda, uh, the actor of course, um, it's been on my wish list for a while and I, I finally got around to reading it. I was captivated immediately and like plowed through it in a couple of days, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, very interesting stuff about communicating. And, you know, basically the bottom line is it has to be a lot of empathy involved, uh, when you're communicating, yeah. but a lot of practical examples. Um, it made me think a lot. It, it was interesting because it did nothing to solve my communication problems. Not that I have problems, but I want to get better. Sure. Um, he talks almost completely about communicating with somebody either one-on-one -on -one or perhaps one person to an audience, a live audience. Mm -hmm. And that's what the book is about. So I, you know, I'm interested in like, how do I now apply that to a situation where either I don't see the other person at all, because I'm recording a tutorial mm -hmm. that then people will have to watch. Um, and I, there's no feedback because I'm done by the time they watch it. Right. Uh, or the, the thing where I'm answering people's comments or questions online, I can't see their face. <laughs> So I don't know what look they have on their face. Um, I have very little information about them. And in fact, I have so little information about their problem usually uh, that, you know, that's the big issue is usually I have too little information or sometimes too much or sometimes the wrong information, all this. And I'm trying to now communicate with them by solving the problem. So, you know, it, it's not, I didn't find it completely worthless for that because I could apply some of the ideas of empathy. Like for instance, while making a tutorial, try to picture who the audience is, Yes. create them in my mind and say, what questions would they have? Would they understand this? Like if, you know, this was their background, this is what they knew. There were things he says, like, um, you know, you got to know what they know first, right? Start teaching them from what they know. You know, you have to you, you start at the right level. Because uh, if you start too early, well, you're boring them because they know some stuff already. And if you start after what they know, then they're lost right from the get-go because they have no idea even what terminology you're using. Right. Um, but also the comments, uh, you know, he does a lot of talk about assigning emotion to things. Like uh, a lot of the book is about, you know, an experiment of basically when you're talking with somebody, try to identify the emotions that they're going through. Are they confused? Are they angry? Are they happy? Or whatever it is. And actually labeling it. Mm -hmm. if, and I thought, well, you know, that's an interesting experiment. I'm trying with, with comments now, just by say, reading the comment. Your written word, Label. you can infer a lot of that. Yep. Yeah. Say, is this person confused? Are they upset? Are mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, whatever, just, I'm trying to figure that out and maybe just label that first, then answer the question and maybe approach it from that. Maybe that will make me a better communicator. I don't know. Anyway, it was worth reading. And also, if you like the Malcolm Gladwell style of books, where there's a lot of talk about studies, 
you know, uh-huh. oh, there was a study done and they came into a room and they said, this was the experiment and this is how it was set up. And this was the result. And you're like, oh, that's so cool. You know, that's, this is that style of book, tons of studies about uh, how people communicate. And he goes through the study and what they learned and how it was set up and all that. And I love that for some reason sure. that really pushes buttons for me <laughs> as for a lot of people, it, um, you know, interesting. I, I read this book, I think at least a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. Absolutely. Just, just as you did. Um, is this, but it's been a while. Is this the one that also relies heavily on improv? Yes. Yeah. He talks about doing, uh, having scientists or business people, you know, that need to communicate, taking improv, improv classes first. And then how that definitely, you know, studies now have shown definitely improves communication. That's the part of the book that it's like, I just can't connect that because um, improv is always being with the, you know, the other person. And I don't have that in any of my communications. Right. I uh, have to wonder if, if doing that kind of improv, um, even though it's all about being in person, yeah. would still hone some of the skills that would translate, uh, perhaps not quite as effectively, but would still translate into some of the other realms that you and I work in, like you know, talking Maybe. to a camera or or responding to a comment. Yeah, the, ca- the camera issue. I think I believe this is a, a book that, among other things, was a bit responsible for the fact that I have a little Lego figurine sitting on top of my camera. Oh um, yeah to remind me that I'm not talking to a camera, I'm talking to a person. Uh, and that tr- that it's just a reminder, but it is one of those things that um, I think helps set a cue, at least for me. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, it, some of the improv stuff was fascinating. Like he talks a lot about mirroring. Mm-hmm. That's one of the main improv things, which is, uh, you know, where basically one person leads, the other person follows and tries to mirror every movement of the other person. Right with the idea that the person leading wants the other person to mirror, right? You're trying to get in sync. And the idea that at the beginning, two strangers or colleagues, perhaps, you know, one is leading, one's following, and there's a delay. The person following is delayed by a second or two. And then they switch back and forth. And after a while, they get so in sync that a third person, a third observer, cannot tell who is leading and who is following. Oh, right. Yep. Which to me was fascinating. But the interesting thing was that by doing some of these uh, mirroring like that, and then trying to communicate what you're trying to say, it turns out that you're much better at communicating. Uh, You're picking your, because simply you're paying attention to the other person more. You know, you're looking at their face, their expressions on their face, and you say something that's confusing, the small signals on their face that say that I didn't understand what you just said, you get those. Right. And, right. Or you're, maybe you're, you get that they're bored. Oh yeah, no, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay, I can, I can move ahead quicker. So anyway, literally in stuff. sync. Yep, yep. Uh, so as always, we have no sponsor. The closest thing we have, of course, is, is is our own content. This week, I would like to point you at. Can I rely on my cloud services backups? It's askleo.com slash 29970. This is a not obvious answer because, or it's at least confusing to a lot of people because both you and I often recommend people use cloud services specifically for backing up. However, using it for backing up is not the same as relying on their backups. Um, Those are two completely separate things. And that separation can really bite you in the butt if you don't understand it. Yep. 
Um, one thing we didn't talk about today uh, is going to be my self-promotion thing. Uh, Apple introduced new versions of operating systems, so Mac OS 12.3 and uh, I, iOS and iPad OS 15.4. The big headlining feature of all of that is something called universal control, which is really cool tech that allows you to basically put either another Mac or an iPad next to a Mac on your on your desk. And you have your trackpad and you have your keyboard, mm -hmm. you just move the trackpad over and it appears on the other device. Right. And I actually, in this video, which, which uh, will come out before this podcast comes out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's tomorrow's. Um, I demonstrate using it with a Mac, an iPad and a second Mac and just moving with one trackpad across all the screens of all those devices back and forth. Uh, and it, I was surprised how well it works. Mm -hmm. um, and what makes it useful isn't just that you, you, you can use a keyboard and trackpad with your iPad and right. you don't have to reach over another keyboard. It's not just that. It's drag and drop and copy and paste work with it. Across the platforms. Across, so I was able to drag an image from my Mac across the two screens of my Mac, across the screen of the iPad. And <laughs> onto the other Mac and drop it. And it appeared there on the other machine. Very cool. It was, so it's very, basically very cool. a way of file sharing or, you know, text or whatever it is. Like I could drag and drop into an app that was on the iPad from a file that was on my Mac. And it's really cool. I'm, I'm really digging it. And uh, I talked about it before. Like I, I don't have a use for this and I probably still don't have a use for this, but it's at least very fun to play with. <laughs> I do vaguely remember you talking about it before and you were questioning what it would be used for. Um, yeah. And I'm time. still, I'm still thinking it's quite, it, but it works so well. It makes you want to <laughs> use it. Matter of fact, when you go and like, you haven't, you, you can go and manually go into preferences and say, Hey, connect this iPad. I want right. to do it with this iPad or. You, once you've turned it on, you cannot go into settings. And instead, if you put your iPad to the right of your Mac screen, you can go and move your trackpad over to the right side of the screen and keep pushing it against the right side of the screen. And then you look on the iPad and you see a bulge on the side of the screen of the iPad. And you push further with the trackpad and boom, the pointer pops onto the iPad. I'm like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. That was so cool. Like. <laughs> that they built the interface like that. They see this little like cursor, like trying to break through from one screen to the next. It, it's kind of neat. So anyway, I, I have a video on that coming out tomorrow. Very cool. Very cool. That cool. does sound good. Yeah. All righty. Well, we're going to be off next week, or at least I'm going to be off. Maybe Gary will talk to you all by himself. <laughs> oh, no, um, it's okay. We'll we'll wait two weeks. Wait, wait a week. Nothing, um, nothing in the tech world will happen between now and then. I hope not. Sure. Um, I will be uh, actually out on the Pacific Coast relaxing for a few uh -huh. days. As Thanks. always, the show notes for this week's episode are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh158. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast, or you can always leave a comment in the show notes page. That's probably the most reliable way to get to us these days. I think we're both kind of tired of social media in some of the yeah. different ways that we, we have to interact with it in the current, current environment. Mm -hmm. As always, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you here again in a couple of weeks. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. -bye. Bye.